as, as we start off tonight's study, uh, it's entitled uh, From the Inside Out. And prayerfully through this video that we shot while we were in Uganda, you would be able to see what's on the inside. Now, I, I'd like to say that as we were there in this remote village of uh, Kitgumatiti, which is in northern Uganda, we were there with about maybe 70 plus believers, and they had gathered to welcome us, they came to feed us, they came to love on us, but something very cool happened while we were there. And as you watch this video, I pray that you would see it. It's something that's not really tangible, but it's something that you see within their hearts, within their voices, within their lives. So sit back as you watch this video from our Uganda mission trip. It's interesting, we learned this song on a mission trip to India, and here we're teaching these Ugandans how to sing the song, Hallelujah na Yesu, Hallelujah to Jesus. And there's a phrase, a line that says, I'm going home, I'm going home, I'm going home to heaven. Amen? The beauty in this, as you can tell, it's a very remote village in northern Uganda, uh, dirt floors, straw huts. Uh, not much to show for it other than what's on the inside. Did you see it? We went there and we found joy and peace and love and excitement and the hope of heaven. Can I just tell you, church, what's on the outside doesn't matter. What's on the inside, that praise, that joy, that thing that you can't grab on here on earth, but it comes straight from heaven. You got that, church? Anyone here got praise on the inside? All right, that's what we're going to talk about tonight, from the inside out. As we look at tonight's scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I pray that you would get your focus off the things of earth, that they would grow strangely dim in the light of his face. I pray that your troubles, your sorrows, your suffering would take a back seat tonight so you could see Jesus high and lifted up, because he's worthy of our praise. And so tonight, as we look at these passages, I pray that God will remind you what's really important. I don't know about you, church, but it's really easy to get bogged down by the things of this earth, isn't it not? It's easy to be weighed down. It's easy to be affected and infected with this world. But God told us not to be of this world. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. And so as we look at these scriptures tonight, I, I ask that God would just show us what that means. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, we'll start here. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Amen? 
Let me read that again. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you love us with an unconditional love. And I pray tonight we'd be hungry for your word. We would be thirsty for your Holy Spirit, God, that you would remind us to make room for you in our life. Thank you, God, that you saved us, you're changing us, you're making us more like you. And I ask, God, that we would focus what you're doing on the inside as opposed to all the things on the outside. So thank you for this church. We do want to lift up our brothers and sisters all around the world. We want to lift up Pastor Jeff as he returns. God, all these things that you're doing in our life, we want to give you glory and praise. We thank you. We love you, God. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power of God may not be of us, but of him. Paul is talking here, and if you know anything about the book of 2 Corinthians, it's a second letter to the church in Corinth, and he has some things to share. Chapter 1 of the 2 Corinthians talks about with the comfort that God has given us, we ought to give comfort to others. So this is a real personal letter for Paul, and he wants to convey some things. The beginning of chapter 4, he talks about this ministry that has been given to us, this, this mercy, this love. And he says there in the first couple of verses, he says, don't lose heart. Can we say that? One, two, three. One more time. One, two, three. Church, don't lose heart. Don't get get discouraged. Don't get bummed out. Don't, don't, Don't get tied up with the things of this earth. Paul wanted to remind them because during that time, there were people who were blinded. The God of this world had blinded people from seeing the gospel. He says, if the gospel is being veiled, if the gospel is being hidden, Paul says this, I don't preach myself, but I preach Jesus Christ, him and cru- him crucified. That's who I preach. So as Paul is talking here, and he's kind of setting the stage here, he says that out of this, let the light shine out of darkness. Let his light shine out of darkness. It says in 2 Peter that that he's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We just sung it, light of the world. And I started thinking about this. Paul understood the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1-3, let there be light. And there was light. God has shown his light in us. And guess what, church? Our job is to shine that light. He shined it in so that we could shine it out. Paul, formerly Saul, he was on the road to Damascus. Do you remember what hit him that struck him off his horse? A light. Have you been hit by the light? Have you been struck? Have you heard the voice of God in your life? See, I think the prayer we should have is uh, not so much, God, uh, how much light am I showing, but am I, am I getting out of the way so you could shine your light? There's a song called Mighty to Save. It says, shine your light and let the whole world see. Church, may our prayer be for the lost who are blinded by the God of this world. Anyone here have family, friends that are unsaved? God, take away the blinders off their eyes. 
God, would you use the church? Would you use Team Philippines? Would you use Calvary Chapel South Bay to reach out and shine the light of Christ wherever we go? That should be the prayer. That should be the heart for each of us. See, Paul is talking here and says there's this treasure in these earthen vessels. Treasure. What is this treasure? It's the gospel. Anyone here in the house of God saved? Amen, right? What saved you? The gospel. The, the truth that Jesus died to pay for your sins, that Jesus is the only source of forgiveness and salvation, that Jesus' life, his light is power enough, powerful enough for the whole world. Do you realize that? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So he takes this beautiful thing, this treasure, the gospel, the light, and he puts it in earthen vessels. Frail containers. A container, the purpose of it is to hold something inside, correct? Let's, let's say, for example, a bowl or a mug, whatever that would be. And they were made out of clay back in the day. These jars of clay, they came in all shapes, all sizes. Some were pretty, some were better, but they all had something in common. They were common. It wasn't something attractive, it was common in everyday use. Every home used these earthen vessels. The interesting thing about it, they weren't durable, and they were useless if they were broken. They were fragile. They cracked. They shattered. Paul likens us to earthen vessels. On the outward, we may appear pretty, better, smell good, right? But on the inside, right? We're fragile. We're breakable. We will shatter and crack. We're just fragile flesh. And you may think, and I may think, I'm more durable than that piece of clay over there. You know, I'm, I'm tough enough. I could handle it, right? But common to all men, there's things that break us, aren't there? Aren't there things that break your heart, that break your spirit, that break, break your mind? And we have to recognize that the frailty... Our brokenness is so we can see God's power in our life. See, remember, we're just these clay pots, but we have this treasure. We have the gospel. We have the light in us. I start to think about this as if I were God, I would choose a presentable container. I would choose a nice-looking vessel. I would choose something that, that people would go, wow, look what God decided to put his gospel in. But he didn't. Guess what? He chose you and me. Look around. Would you choose them? No, right? You wouldn't choose me. I wouldn't choose you. But he did. This is the beauty. But God chose what? The foolish things. Anyone here a fool? I know y'all have been fools before, right? God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And what? He chose the weak things of the world to put to shame the mighty. God chose the weak things. The foolish things. Why? Why would God, if I were God, I would choose the most prestigious, the most beautiful vessel, container, so that the treasure could be deposited into that. But he didn't. And this is why, because it says that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. See this excellence of the power, this immeasurable, mind-blowing power. 
Something that you know comes from heaven. Because if you contrast the value of the treasure versus the value of the container, the treasure is so much greater. What you have in you is so much greater than the outside. It's so much more valuable. God did this so it would be evident it's the power of God, not the power of the vessel. That people would not see us this fragile jar of clay, but they would see Jesus, the treasure that's in us. As jars of clay, we have this crazy opportunity to convey to the world what's on the inside. Can I just tell you, just church, what's in the inside is way more important than what's on the outside. When they were looking for the next king of Israel, remember? Samuel looking through Jesse's sons, not him, too tall, too fat, too short, too this. Is that it? There's one dude, David, a little stinky shepherd boy. Bring him in. Throughout this whole process, what did did they say? Man, God does not look at the outward appearance, but he looks at the heart. What's God looking at tonight in each of us? He's checking out what's on the inside. So God has chosen these earthen vessels to place his treasure in. But guess what it says here in verse 8. It says, but we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Uh, Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Can we do this, church? I'm going to read all the white. Can you guys read the gold words? Can we do that? Some class participation here? Because I want us to understand this. Okay, we are hard-pressed on every side. Oh, come on, church. You got a little more than you and that. Okay, here we go. We are hard-pressed on every side. That's what I'm talking about. We are perplexed. Persecuted, struck down, always caring about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the also may be manifested in our body. Amen. We are, Paul, when he's writing this, he's speaking not a theory, not something he read in a history, but something he experienced. He got it. He knew what it was to be hard-pressed, to be hunted down. He understood. He experienced. I know this. Paul's sufferings and his challenges were as a result of, of following Jesus. Church, as you follow Jesus, there will be challenges, afflictions, illnesses, sufferings. You know the list. You're in it, aren't you? You're going through it right now. And this was all because he decided to follow Jesus. As believers, we're not immune, or are we isolated from the things of this world? And you get it, don't you? When you decided to follow Jesus, your stand wasn't popular. Your convictions, no one comprehended it. And your purpose was opposed to all others. You have been hard-pressed. You have been perplexed. You have been persecuted. You've been struck down. Maybe you're the only believer in your family, the only believer in your workplace, the only believer in your friends, and you've probably experienced maybe a bit of mockery, maybe some scorn, maybe some ridicule, and maybe not to the same degree as Paul, but you've experienced it. 
It says in Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Beloved, don't think it strange concerning this fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing is happening to you. Can I just tell you, church, any believers in the house of God today? All right. Guess what? You said yes to him. The job description, let me just tell you, common to every Christian, opposition, hostility, disapproval, conflict, resistance, injustice, loneliness. It's supposed to happen. If they rejected Jesus, guess what? They're going to reject you. So don't be surprised or shocked when you don't win the popularity conference, contest. Don't be, don't be surprised when you don't get vi- invited to all those things you used to. Don't, don't be worried when, when people don't think of you first. They're not supposed to. Jesus said, turn real quick, John 16, 33. If you don't have this highlighted, uh, uh, memorize, star next to it, John 16, 33. Because I think for every believer living in this world, this is muy importante. Very, very important. You know this. John 16, 33. And this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. And this is what he said. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation but be of good for I have this is Jesus he says these things I've spoken to you that in me you're going to have peace but in this world you're going to have tribulation but be of good cheer I have overcome the world my brothers and sisters what Paul is mentioning here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 it's common to all of us It's going to happen. If it hasn't, it will. As he goes on here, in verse 10, it says, Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus, that the life, um, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. So what are you saying here? Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus could be seen through us. See, Paul wanted the life of Christ to be evident. He didn't want people to see him because Paul knew who he was, right? He was a mass murderer. He killed Christians. He, he did, he's the worst of the worst. He says in his letters, I'm the chief of all sinners. He understood what he was. So when he represented Jesus, he didn't want them to see him. He wanted people to see Christ. Paul wanted that. And he understood that his suffering, it's, it wasn't theory, it wasn't trivial, it was reality. In this room tonight, there are some who you're suffering, and nobody knows it. Physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. Let me ask you this, or let me tell you this. Suffering should remind us of Jesus. Because he suffered. It says, uh, if you want to be godly, you're going to be persecuted. If you want to follow the steps of Jesus, you're going to be crucified. So I think for all of us, we need to understand that as we suffer, we need to understand that's the life that Jesus lived. Philippians chapter 3, it talks about, that I may know the power of his resurrection. Woo, isn't that good? 
resurrection power, but also says what? The fellowship of his sufferings and conform to his death. Give me that resurrection power, but hold off on the sufferings and the death, Lord, right? Give me all your power, but, and that all that fellowship of sufferings, it's like this close-knit that your suffering is close to you. And that you're conformed, that you're molded by his death. Did you know that when you became a Christian? If you knew that, you probably would say no, right? See, the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul knew that his suffering, that these harsh and difficult environments brought about a sweet-smelling aroma. Uh, back in the day, I used, to have, I used to have in my room, in my parents' house, these little sticks, and you would take a lighter and burn it, and it would emit this sweet-smelling aroma, jasmine and whatever. Anyone know what that is? Like an incense stick, right? Yeah? We used to use it to cover up something else. But anyway, so, uh, we, so I started thinking about this. I think incense, right? It's either a flower or a spice. And what you have to do, you have to grind it till it's powder, right? And whatever that is, maybe rocks, pebbles, till it's, well, it's fine powder, and you, you put it on something solid, right? And let's say a stick, and you, and you put it on there, and what happens is you burn it. And when it's taken to the fire, what emits is a sweet-smelling aroma. Paul understood his suffering. It pounded him. It worked him. He suffered. And when it pounded him and put to the fire, what would come out is this beautiful scent of Christ. Let me tell you, church, sometimes you got to be pounded. Sometimes you got to go through some suffering for that sweet-smelling aroma to come out of you, to come out of your life. See, that's on the inside. It's not on the outside. It's not something that I can, I can go to Amazon. It's like, well, how can I be a sweet-smelling aroma? That's, that's, that's not how it works. You want to be sweet-smelling aroma? Get worked. Get pounded. Go through some suffering. Now, I'm not praying that for any of us, but I do know it's common. That sweet-smelling aroma, that, that whole idea that suffering brings a breaking. And maybe you've been in a breakup there's been a breakdown in relationships. Let me just tell you, God's gonna, he's going to bring a breakthrough in your life if you don't give up, if you hang in there. See, this is what allows the light to shine. The pressures, the issues, the drama, the battles. How can people see what's on the inside unless God breaks what's on the outside? They can't. In our society, when we get hurt, it's real easy to put up a wall. Anyone here put up walls? Protective measures, defense mechanisms. Oh, you hurt me? Okay, fool, yeah, you know what I mean? And you're just like, zoom, right? I'm not going to get hurt again, right? But the beauty in all that, what does God do? He breaks every wall that separates us from him. You can have it with people, but don't have it with God. He wants to knock. You got to unlock the door and let him in. And so when I think about 
the fact that God wants to break what's on the outside, it does come through suffering. It's the breaking of these clay pots so that the light of the gospel can shine forth. One of my favorite uh, Bible stories in the Old Testament is Gideon. Anyone know the story of Gideon, Judges chapter 7? I love it because it's against all odds. He's the underdog. He, he's the least of the least. Gideon is called to fight against the Midianite army, 135,000 soldiers, right? And you think, wow, that's a really large army. Well, Gideon, the Israelites, guess what? 32,000. I'm not a mathematician, but 32,000, 135,000, that's a lot of people. He better have some pretty good guns, some pretty good stuff to go against this army. God says, that's too many, Gideon. Go to the soldiers and say, if anyone's scared, go home. 22,000 leave. He's left 10,000, 135,000. Crazy. God says, you know what? If you were to win, you, you would take the credit for yourself. So guess what? Go to the stream. All the brothers that, that go down and drink with their hand versus all the ones that stand. And whoever comes and drinks with their hand, those are the ones you keep. 9,700 gone, left with 300. 300, 135,000. Can I just say, can you say underdog? Can you say no way, Jose? I mean, that, that's, that's impossible. And you know their game plan? I love God because it's like, this is the craziest thing. What I'm going to have you guys do is you're going to carry these trumpets. Uh, trumpets? We're going to play in the band, orchestra, concert. What's up with this? And you're going to carry these clay pots, these earthen vessels. They're going to have a torch on the inside. And when Gideon says the word, when he makes the signal, guess what? You're going to come upon the Midianite army, 135,000, and you're going to break those earthen vessels, and the light's going to shine forth. See, during that time, whenever there would be a light, it was assumed that there would be 1,000 men behind that light. 300 men, 1,000 men behind that. I'm not a mathematician, but I think it's 300,000. So in the mind of the Midianites, there are 135,000. They're thinking there's 300,000 Israelites. Gideon makes the signal. They blow the trumpet, right? They break these earthen jars of clay. Light shines out. The Midianites are so confused. They start fighting on each other and they flee. God is victorious. These 300 men did what 32,000 couldn't. I love this. God wants the odds to be so bad that the victory could clearly only be God. God won the victory for Gideon and the people of Israel. And it was not by their own power. See, like these torches carried by Gideon's men... The light is what saved them. But you had to break these jars of clay for the light to shine forth. See, this light is in us as believers, you and me. Our bodies, our hearts, our lives, though they may be shattered, 
the light is supposed to shine forth. Through all of this, the light of Christ is revealed in us. In order for the light to get out of these containers, these vessels, you and I, there must be a breaking. See, that's how victory comes. It's not being in being strong. It's in being weak. It's not in knowing it all, but knowing nothing. That's God's economy. Uh, we all get broke. We all get broken at times, don't we? Oftentimes, life is a series of disappointments. We don't plan on it, but things don't work out the way you plan it. You just never seem to have enough money to do the things you want, right? Or you don't get that new job or that promotion. Or maybe something more serious, your teenage unmarried daughter comes home and says she's pregnant. Or your marriage is falling apart. You can't get along under one roof. Or maybe you get the phone call and they say it's terminal. What happens when your life breaks apart? Does the light shining in your life make a difference? When, when your clay pot, when your earthen vessel, when your life is broken up, will others see the light? Will others see Jesus? The light will be visible if we allow God to shatter us. It's not, I think it's the greatest time I've seen it is in the life of a suffering saint. Uh, today I had the privilege to visit a dear friend of the ministry, and he's, he's battling with cancer. And as we were there, uh, there's nothing more beautiful than to see brokenness and, and, and God do a work. And I kid you not, we were there, and he could not stop praising God. He could not stop encouraging us. And I literally got to see someone walk by faith and not by sight. In the midst of all the physical, he was able to say, I give God glory. And instead of me, instead of us encouraging him, we walked away encouraged. That's how light shines. That's when you see a saint who is willing to forsake all for the Savior. See, that's what we're talking about when, when there is a breaking in us that causes things to come out of us. I know this, suffering increases my capacity for God. It causes me to make room for him. Space for God. Like this stage, is, it's crowded with a bunch of sound equipment, right? But suffering will oftentimes clear the stage so that all re that remains is Jesus. And maybe that's what God's doing in your life. He's clearing the stage so that the only one remains is Jesus. Warren Wiersbe says this, when you and I hurt deeply, what we really need is not an explanation from God, but a revelation of God. We need to see how great God is, and we need to recover our lost perspective on life. Things get out of proportion when we are suffering, and it takes a vision of something or someone bigger than ourselves to get life's dimensions adjusted again. Isaiah 43 says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you go, 
when I go through deep waters, it's not intended to drown me, but it's intended to cleanse me. It's intended to refresh me. It's intended to renew me. And that's why I go through the deep waters. As Paul goes on in verses 11 and 12, he says, For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Paul's saying here, with the idea that I'm living in this constant danger of death, people were after him. He was being hunted. He was being persecuted in the midst of him serving Jesus. So him having the idea that he's living in the face of death causes him to live for eternity. But church, it's no different for us, is it? We are in the face of death every day. Anyone here know your date of death? Anyone know? Anyone know? No. It could be tonight. It could be next week. We don't know. But the key is, am I living for eternity? Or am I living for the here and now? Death in us. Paul was made more effective, I believe, because of his suffering. I believe his ministry was greater because he suffered. God uses suffering and tragedy to reveal his good and perfect will. As I think about all the different things that God is doing in our life, I have to understand that he is doing a work that only you and I can, can fathom, can understand. You know, and I think it's important for all of us to remember what God is doing. While we're in Uganda, I met a young man, a 30-year-old man. Uh, his name was Dennis, also. And uh, I said, share, share with me your story. Where do you come from? Where do you, where do you live? And this is the northern part of Uganda. And he shared with me at the age of 12, if you're familiar with a lot of the civil unrest going into the Sudan and Uganda, the LRA, which is the Lord's Resistance Army, would capture and abduct young boys. At the age of 12, he was kidnapped from his village. As he was kidnapped from his village, he was, they had shot him in the leg. Uh, he was abused by the rebels. He was treated as a slave. He endured suffering. But the one thing that they would do, the LRA would do with these young boys, they become young soldiers, and they trained them to kill. 12 years old with a machine gun ready to kill. And as he's sharing this story, my heart's breaking. My son is 12. I can't imagine being a 12-year-old boy being kidnapped, taken to a place that you don't know, abused, harassed, and then trained to kill. As I was talking with him, he just started to weep. All these things flooded through his mind. And the one thing that he said was, I often can't bear the weight of my actions. I kind of replay in mind all those innocent people that I've killed. And he said this, if I could go back and apologize to every single family member, I would. But he says this, but I'm a new creation. And I know God has forgiven me. And though I know I have to wrestle and I have to review this in my mind, if this is the road that's going to take me closer to Jesus, then this is the road that I'm going to walk. Oftentimes it is 
those difficulties and those challenges that we face. Galatians 2.20 says this, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't live anymore. And that's the thing I loved about what Dennis says. Like, that, that's, that dude is dead. Church, when the enemy comes and tells you what you used to be like, tell him where he's going, all right? When, when the enemy comes and whispers those things of inadequacy and insecurity, remember whose child you are. When there's moments when you fail and you falter and you keep falling, remember the one who picks you up. It says a righteous man falls seven times and he gets back up again, but I'll tell you this, it's not that man who gets up, it's the Lord, Holy, the Lord who picks him up. And that's what we do. That's what we do, church. As it goes on here in verse 13, it says, And since we have the same spirit of faith, but we continue to preach according to what is written, I believe and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. He's quoting out of Psalm 116 where it says, I believe and therefore I speak. When you and I believe in something, we can't stay quiet. When you have good news, don't you want to tell everybody? Church, we got some good news. It's called the gospel. That's some good news. Jesus, when he was healing this man who was deaf and mute and he couldn't speak, he commanded the man, tell no one, right? But the Bible says, but the more he commanded them, the more widely he proclaimed it. Imagine, he, his tongue was paralyzed and the moment he could speak, he could not stop talking about Jesus. Church, if your tongue be paralyzed tonight, ask God to bring it back to life so you would speak. You would speak his words. You would speak the truth. It goes on in verse 15. It says, For all things are for your sake, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Paul is saying here, and he's getting back on track, he's like, for your sake, He's saying to the church in Corinth, here this, the immediate goal, my goal is to serve, to serve you as a church, to come alongside you. But the ultimate goal, it says here, to cause thanksgiving. God does not abandon us, amen? God does not give up on us, right? That's, he's worthy to give him praise. Church, can we just give him some praise? Come on, he's worthy of it. He's holy, he's righteous, he's faithful, he's loving, we should never stop on giving him praise. I love it when you're in the context of prayer and people are just shouting out and they can't, and they're talking over each other on how good God is. That's how it should be every day. See, God is God, not based on what I'm going through. God is God because he's God. And he's worthy of it. And what Paul's saying here, he says, for your benefit, my prayer is that the grace would spread to more and more people that they would cause them to give thanks abounding unto God. Verse 16, it goes on. It says, therefore, we don't lose heart. Even though the outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. We don't lose heart. Remember how he said to say in the beginning? He said in the beginning of chapter four, and he's saying it again. Why? 
Because they were losing heart. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. That whole idea, therefore, he's pointing back. Therefore, because of the suffering, because of the tragedies, don't lose heart. Don't get discouraged. Don't give up. Suffering takes a toll on the outward man, right? On these earthen vessels, on, these, on this flesh. It takes a toll. Uh, the cracking, the shattering, the hurting. Um, I don't know, the older I get, my body's not what it used to be. Oh, I got a good amen on that, right? It's like, it just don't, it does not work the same it used to. All you young folks, just wait, just wait, you know, it's coming, it's coming, right? And, and it should be because we're closer and closer to meeting our maker. But it says, yet the inward, here we go again, the inside, the outward is decaying. It's rusting. It's, it's, it's breaking down. And we do everything we can as Americans, as a society, to stop that process, don't we? There's all these little ointments, all these little drinks, all these little exercises to make yourself like you're not aging. Uh, can I just tell you, we're getting old. Can I just say that? That's the truth. You can't stop that process. But the beauty, this outside, don't matter. It's the inward. The inward's being renewed day by day. On the outward, we're suffering, we're battling, we're taking a beating, but the inside, God is renewing. The word, the Greek word for that is anayakainao. And that whole idea is that to be changed, transformed into a new kind of life, as opposed to the former corrupt state. So that renewing process is not just putting a new label on it, right? You ever see those things new and improved and all they did is change the label? They didn't change nothing on the inside, right? See, that's not what God does. He doesn't just slap on a new label and says, new and approved, renewed, right? What he does, he takes what's on the inside, he dumps it out and he makes a new formula. That's what he's done with us, hasn't he? The Bible says our hearts are deceitfully wicked, right? It's evil, Our hearts are hearts of stone, but God wants to make it a heart of flesh. We don't lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day. God is prepping us for heaven. God is getting you and I ready for heaven. And he's using trials to do that. That the coming glory outweighs any of today's difficulties. So when you experience your troubling days and your difficult times, it's all prep. It's all preparation for heaven. When you get those phone calls, when you get those emails, when you have those conversations, remember, he's preparing you. Finally says in verse 17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. He calls his afflictions, our afflictions, light. Last time I checked, they're pretty heavy. I got some heavy afflictions. Anyone here? The things that we're going through, it's pretty heavy. It's pretty burdensome. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, this is, this is Paul's list, though. He lists out stripes, prisons, beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, perils of water, 
robbers, in trouble with my own countrymen, trouble in the city, trouble in the wilderness, trouble in the sea, amongst false brethren, in weariness and toil, sleeplessness, hunger, thirst, cold, nakedness. That's, that's his list of light afflictions, right? I just get grumpy when I can't go to sleep. I mean, this brother got sleeplessness, so... But what about the spiritual burdens? What about the spiritual tax? Paul doesn't even mention that, does he? Why is it light, not heavy? Because even in the worst affliction, in comparison to eternity, it doesn't compare. It says, but for a moment. I love that. It says, but for a moment. My moment is different from God's moment, right? When I think, oh, just for, in a moment, right? And I'm thinking like the next breath. God's moment could be five days or five months, or five years. These light and momentary afflictions for a moment, right? Most of our troubles come and go. I don't know about you, but I don't like being sick. Anyone like being sick? Okay, none of us like being sick. And the worst is when you're sick at night and you have the flu, right? And you can't sleep. Anyone been in that situation? It's like 12, 1 o'clock, and you look at the clock, it's 110. All right. Oh, okay, I'm going to try to sleep, try to sleep. Oh, my gosh, it feels like an eternity. Oh, it's only 1.15. Oh, gosh, how much longer to, you know, and you're like wrestling, and you're like, okay, 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 I'm suffering. It seems like an eternity. You look, it's only 1.18, right? I mean, suffering has a way of extending time, doesn't it? When we're suffering, it seems like it's an eternity. But suffering in light of eternity, it's but for a moment, The Bible says our life is but a vapor. It's a mist. Here today, gone tomorrow. But also, I believe it's light and not heavy because what what it's accomplishing behind the scenes. This affliction is weighing out a far more exceeding weight of glory. See, this long life of suffering is nothing on the scale of eternity. Billy Graham says this. Even if we may not always understand why God allows certain things to happen to us, we can know he's able to bring out good out of evil and bring out triumph out of suffering. God is able to do that. The struggle isn't that this this suffering is going to pass. The struggle is trying to keep in mind that it's all for this eternal, exceeding weight of glory. And why? Because it hasn't happened yet. This eternal weight of glory, heaven, it's not tangible yet. It's not real yet, but it will be. Oftentimes we lose sight of the eternal. This, this weight of glory, it's indescribable. It's greater than what we can even fathom or think or dream. Um, the blessing and the joy And I started thinking about this, Lord, help me not to live for now, but help me live for the forever. Help me live for heaven. Help me to invest in those things that are going to outlast the things of this earth. And finally, in verse 18, he says, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul is contrasting here unseen versus seen. Invisible versus visible. Temporary versus eternal. And church, we just need to get our eyes on the things that are eternal. 
the things that are going to last. Paul kept perspective about his life and his ministry. He had a life of hardship, suffering, affliction, persecution, but he understood that the only way that people could see what's on the inside is through the brokenness, through the shattering. When we look at things not seen, we appreciate this weight of glory, right? I think with each of us, God is, is working behind the scenes. He's doing something on the inside, something that nobody knows. There's a story behind each face here. There, there's things going on that nobody in this, on this planet is aware of, but God is working, and he's changing, and he's adjusting, and he's aligning you to be more like him. And we've allowed this affliction and this suffering to work in us. The Bible says the result is this eternal, exceeding weight of glory. His presence. Um, this past Labor Day, my wife and I decided to run this race. It's called Conquer the Bridge. And it's running uh, through San Pedro. And you, you run across the Vincent Thomas Bridge. Has anyone run that before? Okay, so they conquer the bridge. And so we ran it just to have fun. And we're there, and, and the backyard team was there running it, and they're just going full on. And my wife and I are just like a light jog, you know, this is fun. And we get to be on the bridge. When do you ever get to do that, right? So we go there, and we see people taking selfies, you know. And I want to say, if you ever want to be in a race, it's a 5.3-mile race, I think. But I want to say 70 75% of the people are walking, Okay, so it's not like a race race that you think of. I mean, even to the point where we're running and we're trying to dodge the people walking. So it's a relatively, it's a fun race. People are talking, people are on the phone. It's like, this is not really a race. This is like a walk, right? And so it shouldn't be conquer the bridge race. It should be conquer the bridge walk. So we're there and we, we, we get to the, the beginning of the bridge and we say, go up. It's like, let's just go, let's go, let's go, let's go, right? And then it was like, we get to the top. It's like, okay, let's walk, let's walk, let's walk, right? <laughs> And as we're making a U-turn, we see this elderly man. And as he's running, he's running at this consistent, steady pace. Like, literally like this. I'm not exaggerating. He's going like this the whole time. You know? I like, okay. All right. So we pass him up. And then there's a water station, right? So my wife, oh, I'm kind of thirsty. Let's get a drink here, you know? And here, who passes us? This elderly man, right? <laughs> Okay, all right, cool. So we run past him, porta potties. Oh, I have to go. You got to go. Okay, all right. So we go. Guess who passes us? This elderly man, all right? Home stretch, right? Coming around the bend, coming off the freeway, right? I'm like, all right, here we go. Finish lines, not farther away, right? Here we go. And guess who I see in front of me? This elderly man, right? I was told my wife, Sue, I don't care about the finish line. I just got to beat this man. That's all I care about. <laughs> I'm going to keep it real. That's, that's all that was on my mind. I was like, I don't care where I finish. I just can't let him beat me. <laughs> As we're running, I pass him up, come to the finish line, and I was like, whoo, I beat him, right? I mean, it's not that I, fin- I crossed the finish line. Got to the race, I see him pass. And I'm standing there, I'm like, I'm going to talk to him. I went over and said, sir, I just, I just want to say thank you because your consistency, your steady pace, your faithfulness motivated me to finish the race. 
even though in my mind, I told him, I confess, I, like, I just wanted to beat you. I mean, that's, that was the truth. I realized that he remained faithful. And I started thinking about this. And I started thinking about, you know, was it really about beating this elderly man? <laughs> or was it about finishing the race? See, I love that because this man was not moved by how fast everyone else was going. This man was not concerned of who was running on the left or the right. He was just running his race. He was concerned in finishing. And maybe he was hurting. Maybe he was tired. Maybe he was hungry. I have no idea, but you know what? He finished the race. And church, sometimes... As we're in this race, as it says in Hebrews, looking to the author and the finisher of our faith. faith. See, I love the, these passages because it's talking about this, this light that's inside of us, this treasure in earthen vessels. But really what it comes down to, that light will shine as long as I'm looking to him. I'm just reflecting him. It's not something I have to gather or to put inside of me. It's already there. And as I look into the face of my creator and my maker, he changes me. He makes me more like him. Paul understood that it's what's on the inside that matters. The Bible says, Christ in me, the hope of glory. And tonight, um, we just want to take some time and just ask the Lord, Lord, if there's something you're working in me, help me to receive it. Help me to say it's okay. Help me be reminded to have joy and to let my light so shine in the midst of it. And times, God, if you got to break me, break me. But let that light shine. May that light never go out. Church, if that flame that flame of love for Christ has been dying down, nurture it. Take care of it. Don't let it die. He put it there with a purpose. And that purpose is for heaven. And so, my encouragement to each of us is run your race and shine as you run your race. Amen? Father God, we thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace and for, for never forsaking us and never leaving us and always taking care of our every need. And even tonight as we come and as we gather, we know that you're working something. And God, there are some here that are probably going through a bit of suffering, a bit of maybe ridicule or maybe feeling they're all alone. God, would you remind them? You're the great God who is faithful and that your mercies are new every morning. And God, would you remind us even today, Lord, of your amazing grace for us. And so, Lord, thank you, God, that, that you've put this light in us that we would shine. So thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the fact that you've changed us. And, and God, you want us to be more like you. So thank you for this church body. We love you, Lord. You know what we're going to do tonight? If you're here tonight and maybe you're going through some suffering, some, some tragedy, some tra- 
could I just have you stand? And we just want to pray for you as a church. So stand to your feet if you're just going through a bit of suffering within your family, within your workplace. Um, because I believe this is a perfect place to be in the midst of your suffering. To be on the anvil. To be on the potter's wheel where he's shaping and molding us. And church, if you're around someone who's standing, can you just lay a hand on, on them? This is the body of Christ. And if someone's around you that's standing, just go over and just lay a hand as we pray. And ask the Lord to just watch over and bless them and, and to, to encourage them even tonight. And maybe, I'll say this, and maybe tonight God just telling you to rededicate your life. Maybe that light that has gone out needs to be rekindled again. That you would allow the Holy Spirit to bring that fire back in your hearts. Uh, God, thank you so much for my brothers and sisters, Lord. And, and thank you that you bring us to these places where we can only look up. So God, I want to lift up those in this room that are, uh, that are suffering physically. Maybe some ailment, something terminal, something minor. God, you know what they're going through. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would touch. You would remove pain. You would alleviate what they're experiencing, God. That you get the glory. But if not, Lord... Help them to still praise you. Help them to still call out the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for the relationships, for the families, for the moms and the sons and the sisters and the brothers. God, I pray for the family units, the marriages that I represent in this room. God, if there be suffering, thank you, God, that you're the one who can put things back together again. And so we believe by faith that you can do that. So I ask now for you bring a spirit of humility. I pray you remove any pride. I pray, God, that you would bring families together, Lord, that, that they would give you glory for that. And Lord, if there's anyone here, maybe spiritually they're a bit broken, maybe emotionally, Lord, we don't know, but we know, God, that you're close to the brokenhearted. So thank you that you're close to us tonight, God. I pray, Father, that they would draw near to you as you draw near to them. Father, thank you for all that you've done and all you're going to continue to do. Thank you, God, that while we were still yet sinners, Christ, you died for us. But then you rose again from the dead for us, that power of the resurrection. We love you, God, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, you know, tonight as... As the pastors are here, I want to encourage you as we just continue to worship. If you want to pray with those people around you, come down, get prayer. This is a place where um, the broken are mended. This is a place where you, you take the pieces of your broken heart and you give it to God and he fixes it. I don't know how, I don't know why, but he does. And he gives you strength to continue on. So church, don't leave. If there's some things heavy on your heart, turn to that brother or sister or the pastors here, but just let's, let this place be a place of prayer, a place where we receive strength, where we receive encouragement. Amen? God bless you folks. Let's worship him together.